You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Yamamoto. And what a day it is, because not only is it Yamamoto Day, but it's the day that we celebrate Yamamoto Day with a great podcast. Lance Brzdowski, a player development analyst for the Marquee Network, and does an outstanding job. You can catch his stuff on YouTube. He used to work at Driveline. He is just an up-and-coming voice of baseball. And I sort of latched on to him, saw him do some great, great stuff with Yamamoto. He did great stuff through the entire season. But I said, if we are going to do a case for a case for Yashinobu Yamamoto then this is the guy to do it. As it turned out, it became a case for, in parentheses, and against Yamamoto. It's great. Lance presents both sides of things and taking a deep dive of the good and the bad because all we are hearing is this is the guy every team is going after, which is true. I mean, like every team would love to have him, no question about it. But we have to be realistic about him. And I don't think people have been realistic about it. This is the best picture that you're going to find painted on Yamamoto Day. Absolutely. And in a little bit of bonus, we have a breakdown of another Japanese free agent pitcher, Shota Imanaga, who is a lefty. And he's also out there. And we have Lance break him, his, his prospects down as well. His skill set. It's just great, great stuff. Great stuff. We love the free agent talk. We already have nailed it once. Uh, we have the Aaron Nola, the cage for Aaron Nola, Ellen Adair. She said it. They heard it. He signed. That's how it works. Now, on Yamamoto Day, we'll see how long it takes. 45 days after the posting. Let the clock begin. And the clock is beginning with this excellent, excellent podcast. All right, there's nobody I'd rather have on right now than Lance. Lance Brzezowski. How are you? How are you, my friend? How are I'm you? Doing great. I'm uh, doing fantastic. How about you, man? Let's go. Uh, all right. So I, you've done a lot in, in not a lot of time. I don't know how old you are. You don't look very <laughs> old, but you've done a lot. And and most importantly, it's the here and the now. And there's nobody who I'd rather have on to talk. So Lance, we did um, 
we're doing like the, the case for dot 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 right so we did sure. the case for Aaron Nola last week and I don't know if you know Ellen Adair so Ellen Adair is an actor I do yeah yeah Ellen is like I, I say she's she's an actor but I the talk about next level research on pitchers and players but particularly Aaron Nola there's nobody who know more yeah, about fan club she's the president right I see her all over Twitter <laughs> she's, she's the president yeah so she was the perfect person to do the the case for dot 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 uh I'm gonna ask you to do the case for a couple of Japanese pitchers Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Shota Imanaga oh man I think I got I thought you did pretty good there that wasn't that bad <laughs> get to a mirror uh but there i i i honestly mean this i i don't i can't think of anybody who's better to articulate this is a lot to pick through with both these guys but i really appreciate you coming on and doing this uh but first i want to allow you to give a little bit of your background i would do it but i would miss something so (laughs) but you go ahead give me a little bit of your background you know where you came from your roots how you get to this point and what you're doing right now. Yeah, I always been a huge baseball fan. Um, primarily did like a big career switch and jumped into journalism via Northwestern University's grad program. So I'm out in Chicago. Uh, landed a couple random gigs. I mean, I used to write for Baseball Prospectus, Hardball Times. Like, every, I think everyone pushing in the baseball space and trying to do something cool wanted to get thoughts out there. You know, and I thought those mediums were pretty good to do so. And that's kind of how I grew from there. I worked for a really small scouting company called Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. I worked very briefly for Driveline Baseball um, as a video editor. Driveline Baseball is obviously like a third-party player development company. It's still really popular today. Ton of ton of coaches and other individuals that I find incredibly intelligent have taught me a lot about the game have come through there and are now in pro ball. So I, I made a lot of connections from that company. Um, and then from there, you know, I had some video editing skills. I landed at when the Cubs bought back some of the TV rights over here in Chicago, Marquee Sports Network was launched. I eventually went in there as like purely a what you'd call almost like a video editor, breakdown editor, associate producer of sorts. And, uh, you know, I had a pretty good baseball knowledge. I was able to talk to a lot of the individuals we had in as talent. Um, guys from Brian Dempster is now hosting Intentional Talk to Carlos Pena, who's still in here. A ton of, you know, former pros and stuff. And, uh, Really just kind of grew from there. Did some stuff on the minor league side for the Cubs. They needed someone to hop on air and interview players from the minor league side. Did that. Next thing you know, I have my own segment. And now it's kind of taken off from there. So it's I, it's it's been a wild ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's It's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy what I do. And I'm incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to do what I do and get paid for it. And, you know, I'm just trying to grow. I really want to do something nationally. Um, I love following the Cubs but I just always have – I love baseball. You know, I'm not a Cub fan. I'm, I'm sorry for anyone that ever sees my content on Marquee and stuff. But I definitely root for the Cubs, right? When the incentives are aligned, you become a fan of something pretty quickly. Yes. So, you know, definitely root for the Cubs. They've had a pretty fun offseason. But, you know, I always want to do something nationally. I, I really think my strength is ability to hop into kind of any team and have some insights. So that's what I do. I have a Twitter, um, YouTube, something I've been trying to grow, which is I think where we maybe got connected here on the Yamamoto video I did. Mm-hmm. Also have TikToks and Instagram and such really cool Substack I do during the season as well. So I'm everywhere. If you have a, a medium you prefer consuming content on, I'm probably on it. Um, well, but it's fun this, to be on here. Listen, this is this is the whatever we can do to help you because you're super talented. Appreciate um, it. You're super entertaining. You're super informative. 
Um, and the baseballs and boring brand is there for you. Whatever way, you know, we are going to send, we'll send you T-shirts. We will send you, <laughs> you know, Kelly books. We will send you uh, whatever you want. But most importantly, like we were, will offer you the platform to do whatever you want um, to reach out. Because we obviously encompass the whole world of the whole world of baseball. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, so speaking of the whole world. So uh, let's start with Yamamoto, okay? Sure. Um, Yamamoto is a guy, it's interesting because I was doing a spring training broadcast last year. And I remember we had a Red Sox executive on and everyone's so hypersensitive about saying the wrong thing uh, in sure. front offices right now, especially when it came to Japanese players. And I can give you an example, which I won't give now, what, in terms of Otani, which I'm like, that happened a couple of days ago, like, holy Mac, just everyone just settle down. But yeah. everyone is so sensitive about putting their foot, best foot forward about not pissing off, you know, the particulars and everything else like that. So I won't say who it was, but we had on this executive um, during the Red Sox spring training broadcast. And he's like, Yamamoto's the guy. Like, yeah, like we focus so much on Otani, you know, but Yamamoto's the guy. And everyone freaked out, Lance, about, oh, there's Brian Cashman at the Yamamoto no-hitter sitting behind home plate and get like, look yeah. at, oh, the Yankees must have it in. Well, I would I would suggest that if you expanded that video a little bit wider, you would probably see a lot of other executives, maybe not GMs. Sure. But so my point is, is that this guy has been on these teams' radar for obviously for the last couple of years. He's won the Cy Young, uh, the equivalent of the Cy Young in Japan, what, three times now? Three, three in a row. Yeah. And so, um, and most importantly, and you point this out in your breakdowns of him, it, he's 25. I mean, this is like, yeah, yeah. You know, th- we talk about Otani and how much more money he's going to make because of the business side of thing. Well, how much more money is Yamamoto going to make because of the 25 year old thing? So, anyway. I'm just going to start here, Lance. For you, what, what, when was it when you started digging in on Yamamoto? Was it wow, this guy's a top of the rotation guy? This is this is maybe and I don't even know like what the if we could power rank the best Japanese pitchers to come over, but this is going to be one of the best ever. We were just talking before a little bit about Daisuke. Certainly, sure. Daisuke but he was perceived as that. But what was your initial perception? When you started digging on Yamamoto? Yeah, my initial perception was influenced, I think, by a lot of what I read, which was overwhelmingly positive. Um, I don't think I really heard anything bad about him. And I think maybe that's just connected to the fact that, like, the projections on his salary, you know, if you jump to fan graphs, it's like seven years and high 100s. You know, it's like 175 to 200 in that window. We'll see if the posting fee kind of drives that money down. Um, I imagine a guy like Steve Cohen with the Mets is going to be in on him. So maybe he just pushes the price tag to whatever he wants to get him. But I, I, it was overwhelmingly positive. And that surprised me then when I talked to some individuals in front offices who are analysts or people connected to the pitching side in any capacity who've done a little bit of digging on him, right? Like anyone at any level in an org, if the, they, they think their team is in on him, they probably, you know, have looked at him, have dug in and maybe theorized in their head how they think he's going to project. And I was surprised to hear that most of it was selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. It's like good, but more lukewarm. And also just kind of like, you don't know how those guys are going to translate, you know? And I, and that surprised me a bit. So what I did was I dug, you know, I got some of his NPB data. There's a little bit of his World Baseball Classic data out there. If you jump through some of the back roads of Baseball Savant and such, because those were in stadiums where they were outputting data. So you could get like 100 or so pitches. And for the most part, I thought that was relatively representative, but I wanted to see what he did in NPB. And I... I liked it. I think it's. I think he's a good pitcher. I feel like I've become like the champion of the. I don't know if he's worth two hundred million crowd, but I like it though. It's it's good though. It's good because we have yeah, just champions of like. Oh my god! And 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 Lance, not to interrupt, but we have enough of the. This is the guy because he's exactly yeah. He's excelled so much and he's twenty five. Anyway, so this is yeah. You are the voice of reason <laughs> for good or for bad. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like I. At the end of the day, all the time people are like, would you pay so much for so-and-so? And it's like, it's not my money. Like, if, if you're having me construct a roster, I would just take the best guys on the market. I would take Yamamoto, I would take Nola, I would take Snell. You know, like, give me any of them. Like, I, money, I don't care about money. It's not my money that I'm spending. You know what I mean? From an analyst standpoint, you do have to actually consider the money side. But anyways, I so I, I think Yamamoto is really good. I think he's a really good pitcher. I think the two things driving up the value for him is the fact that, one, he's really young, right? And... That, I think, has a large influence on whatever Major League Org is looking at him and potentially thinking that they can adjust him going forward. You know, so if you want to pay him, you know, above $20 million a year AAV, which is going to end up probably being the case, then you're projecting him forward and you're looking at it more from the perspective of like, okay, by the time he's 28, we'll be getting his natural peak. And then from that natural peak, we can figure out, you know, how the repertoire works. What What's working here as opposed to that worked for him over an MPB. And the example, I, I did a very similar thing for Kodai Senga last year. And I wouldn't say that I came down on the same path, but Senga, I thought, like, looking back now, he should have got a lot more money. Yeah. $14 million a year for Kodai Senga is a steal right now. It looks like an absolute steal. And the interesting thing is, like, I, I thought I nailed some of the things in the Senga video by looking at his MPB data. Like, the fastball is fine. It's not great. I guess I underestimated how good this splitter would be, his forkball. Like, it's a, it's just generated an insane swing miss um, over here compared to even what he did in this in NPB. And he's also played around with different sliders. Like, he, he came in with a sweeper that he learned that he didn't really throw in NPB. It's just Kodai Senga I'm talking about. 
and that didn't work for him. So they reverted him back to more of like a like a pure gyro ball, throw it harder, kind of more just pure drop on it. And that worked versus left-handed hitters really well. So like he's tinkered already. So like whatever you want to project out the gate with Senga, assuming he was going to throw more sweeper, is not what you got at the end of the year when he was going crazy and ended up fourth or fifth in Cy Young voting, I forgot. Mm-hmm. So it, when you look at a guy like Yamamoto, it's a different mix, right? Like it's better fastball, I would argue. I think it's a better pitch, better fastball, right? It's a ton of total movement on his fastball. So he has a lot of ride and run to the pitch. That makes it a little less platoon neutral, I would say. Makes it a little better versus right-handed hitters. I think for the most part, it's not going to work as effectively versus left-handed hitters for that reason. The splitter is good. It's not as good as Kodai Senga's. It's not as unique as what I said in the video, and I think that's a fair point. Kodai Senga's does not have as much of that arm side movement, so it's a more of a unique pitch. It's very similar Kodai Senga's to Hurston Waldrop, who was drafted by the Atlanta Braves, whereas Yamamoto's is probably more in the tier of just most of the splitters you see in Major League Baseball. Now, that's nitpicking because splitters, if you could add any individual pitch to a given pitcher to make him better, it's a splitter, and I don't think that's debatable. They're the best pitch in baseball at limiting hard contact, the best pitch in baseball at generating swing and miss. So it's a splitter. It's really good. He doesn't really throw a sweeper, and he has a big curveball. The curveball is more like 76 to 78, and I like the fact that he uses it as like a two-strike put-away pitch and a get-ahead pitch. He's, he's very comfortable using it in a variety of counts, but it's – like curveballs in Major League Baseball have really changed, right? They're they're generally not pitches that you lead repertoires with. They're pitches to offset a handedness with. They're pitches to throw right-handed pitcher to left-handed hitter to kind of mix it up, you know? Like most curveballs in terms of run values in Major League Baseball are those that are thrown really hard, you know, like the Lance McCullers 84-plus, you know, any of those pitches where they almost don't even really land in curveball territory anymore. They push up into sliders. So with Yamamoto, you know, those three pitches alone, they're good. Like, I think they're good. He also has a little bit of feel for, like, a a sweeper slider, which I imagine a major league org is going to have him throw more. But I I think he's good. I just think the reason that you love him, anyone that's watched him, is because of the pitchability and the command, right? And that, I'm not entirely, like, I think he has great pitchability and that he'll come over to the States and that'll be the calling card of his game. But you also see with these guys that come over, there's adjustment periods. It's a different ball. It's a different culture. It's a different lifestyle. Like you have to, I think a lot of the time you'll see in any of my videos, I think probabilistically, right? Like there's a range of outcomes with a guy like Yamamoto. I thought for the most part, the range of outcomes that was like, he's more average in his first year and then maybe starts to get better or even slightly below average in his first year and then gets better was really underrepresented based on everything I read in media and fan graphs, et cetera. And it's totally fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it was valuable to have the other perspective. Like, he comes over, the fastball gets beat up, and the pitch that he was throwing 50% of the time is no longer his best pitch. And then what do you have? Because your split is not as good as Senga's. You know, the curveball 77. Like, it's, it's there's not a lot of major league curveballs that are 77 miles per hour that work well. So if you love him, you love the pitch ability, and you think that he could – the argument – I'm countering my argument here is, like, he has a fastball and he has such good pitchability with it that he could turn it into multiple pitches. So, like, you watch his starts, he backdoors it to uh, right handed hitters. He throws it up, he throws it inside. To lefties, he kind of goes front hip, he goes away and he goes up. So, you essentially take that fastball, like, split it into multiple locations, it becomes multiple pitches. That's the strength of him. I don't think it's a matter of, like, Kodai Senga throwing, you know, 35, 40% splitter and just seeing what happens, and then using his fastball less and less as the year goes on, I don't think a guy like Yamamoto is going to have the luxury of not using his fastball a ton. Um, and, you know, the stats are unbelievable in MPB. I just think it's reasonable to consider that he's not, like, dominant out of the gate. And then it takes a little bit. Like, by the time he's 26 or 27, if he's as good as he was in MPB, then he's a perennial Cy Young candidate, you know? It's just 
you compare the contract he's going to get to a guy like Senga, and like I'd be curious to like age agnostic of age. I think everyone would just take Senga. You know, like if Senga was twenty six or seven coming over, I'm curious to see if he would get as much as Yamamoto got. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I would just take Senga. Like Senga's a really good pitcher. I know he's thirty. Like you're you're paying for the fact that he's twenty five. You're paying for the fact that you love the pitchability. And if you think that translates, then go for it. You know what I mean? I just think there's a little more risk maybe than we're all considering with a guy like Yamamoto. So, so I don't know. First, Listening to me, I don't know if, if no, you, no. If the, so the first thing, Lance, Tom, the first thing is I'm writing this down. Change headline to the case for in parentheses or against. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I should know, but Yamamoto. No, but this everything. is this is but this is this is important. Um, and because. I've we've heard enough of the good. Like we've and, and a lot of what you said is good. I understand this. I'm gonna yeah, go yeah. To, I'm gonna wake up to Senga. One of the answers of why he landed where he landed with his money was there was injury concerns. There was sure, like, sure. and there still it, is with him, you could argue. Yeah. Yeah. And so and again, we might go back and we and we I go back to I keep going back to Daisuke Matsuzaka. Daisuke Matsuzaka, people forget, you know, he finished fourth in Cy Young voting in two, in his second year. In the major yeah. leagues, at first year was pretty good, not outstanding. Everyone yeah. trying to figure out like why do you keep walking the bases loaded and then getting out of it, <laughs> you know. And so, but then you finish fourth in the Cy Young voting in in two thousand eight, and then he goes to the WBC and comes back throwing eighty. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mile, 80 miles an hour. So my point is, is that with Senga, we don't know. Good for him. Good first year. As you point out, he adjusted some things. Um, the thing with Yamamoto, I'm also curious, is you're right. Age is important. Huge, uh, yeah. But I, I'll go back to Daisuke. There was concern about a lot of pitches at an age, right? So you know, last we saw Yamamoto, he was throwing 130-something pitches in a game, right? Sure, sure. And so um, I, I'm not saying that's how – because we, we don't know, but – we have to factor all this in. The interesting thing you talk about is fastball. Fastball is his go-to pitch over 50% of the time. You got me going because of your video down a rabbit hole of extension. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like so um I was pounding baseball savant looking for someone with a lot of red with really low extension. So his extension, <laughs> I think, in the major leagues would be what? Less than twenty percentile, right? Yeah, Probably. it's it's tough too because the one thing that we don't really have on the public side is looking at extension relative to height. You can look, look at it two ways. Like extension on the low end matters, I think, because it'll just take away a little bit of fastball characteristic. Like you think of a guy like Tyler Glass on down the mound, like that reaction time, I think matters to some extent. A lot of people don't think extension is in baseball on the nerd side is really like has a ton of value to it, but I do think on the ends of it, like elite extension or below average extension, it. It has some contribution to like maybe a fastball playing down slightly. The other thing to consider is like he's a little shorter. Like he's, I think he's 5'10, mm-hmm. um, Yamamoto. So like 
relative to his height, his extension is okay. It's just that the average height of a pitcher in Major League Baseball is well, like six two, six three, six four. Yeah. And like those guys are all extending a couple inches beyond their height. So they're extending maybe six four, six five, six six down the mound. Whereas Yamamoto is extending like right around six feet, but he's five ten. So it's like his extension isn't short relative to his height. It's kind of average, but the fact that he's short makes like the net extension lower than you'd expect. And therefore, like, that's another reason that I mentioned the video is like, maybe the fastball plays down slightly from a contact quality standpoint. And especially because of the fact that he didn't generate a lot of swing and miss with it overseas. So like, if that's slightly below average, and then you think that extension has some impact on it, then like, maybe it plays down even more. But again, it goes back to the point, the counter argument there is that he's such a good pitch building man of the pitch that you're just hoping the contact quality is so bad that the swing and miss doesn't really matter. So that's kind of how I think about his extension in particular. But a lot of yeah. Japanese pitchers aren't, I mean, they're not particular, they're not six, three, six, four, six, five. So I think you run into the situation where like a lot of them don't really have big extension. Right. And like, like you point out, I mean, this isn't the be all end all. We're picking through this guy and, and it's, it's what well, we can't forget. It's a, it's a results business. Um, but you also mentioned Senga, he, he, him adjusting. I mean, this is part of it. Yeah. And, and with Yamamoto is, is he going to develop? the 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 pitch which we obsessed over in 2023 which is a sweeper um and sure, sure. and so is he going to integrate that along with the split which i you know i i found it fascinating you're talking about the split because we had uh we actually had brian bannister on again this week um brian bannister had said the last time he was on he's like people don't you know the split for me is the best pitching base it's the best pitch in sure. baseball. And he backs it up. Yep. Yeah. And and everybody is a lot of teams like, oh, well, it's going to lead to injury. Well, I you no one's proven that to me. This is the pitch. This is the pitch. So I guess, you know, the here's here we go. We pivot back to the K for Yamamoto. All right. Well, you have one of the most effective pitches in your arsenal, and it's really, really good, right? Uh totally. Yeah. No, I hundred percent agree with Bannister. I love Bannister. He's gonna be a huge a- asset to the White Sox. In that organization, I, I've listened to a couple of pods with him, and I think he's incredibly intelligent. So I've, I've learned a lot from just listening to various things he's done. So, but no, I think he's spot on there, right? Like, I, I don't know whether splitters lead to more injury. I think that's a debate. You know, the case that I heard for that is that generally splitters are just thrown a little bit harder than changeups. And if you think velocity has some correlation to injury, then you could argue that maybe throwing a splitter over changeup leads to slightly more injury risk if you're just comparing between those two variables of like, do I throw a changeup or do I throw a splitter? So, to each their own. But the reality is, like, we've seen this with velocity as well. If you think velocity has some correlation to injury, velocity is so highly valued in organizations that it doesn't really deter organizations from training it and caring about it. So it's a little surprising to me that organizations are like, you know, splitters are the best pitch in baseball, again, at generating contact and weak contact and generating swing and miss. And yet, for some reason, like, we're not totally incentivized to use them a ton because we think they're injury-related. It's like, well, velocity also, for the most part, you look at, you know, you know, you have to look at it relative to like that pitcher's efficiency and how much torque they're putting on their arm. There's some really good tweets out there from some driveline folks. Kyle Wasserberger is one of them who talks about this, you know, the risk reward of it. And I think there's risk reward splitters as well. It's just for some reason we're a little more hesitant to uh, implement it. I'm not entirely sure why, but I do think we're getting to the point too. The sneaky thing that I, I, I'm thinking about doing a video on is like, we've heard a lot. I, there's a lot of guys who throw splitters, but are, are, they're just tagged as changeups. Like Shane McClanahan's a great one. You look at his grip, he's split. You know, it's, it's split change or change up or whatever you want to call it. But like I, the naming, the naming of pitches has created, a lot, I think, a lot of confusion around this. And I actually think it's sharp by some organizations is to just say it's a change up, but like actually give him more of a split grip and uh, and throw it and just be like, it's a change up. And it's like, it's actually a splitter, but OK. <laughs> what what uh, when you look at Yamamoto's split, 
Um, does anybody jump to mind? Oh, I don't think I drew a comp on it. Um, I let me see if I still have that info up. I could try to grab it. No, that's it's um, yeah. So it's uh because we love especially when it comes to like traditional, I guess, change ups. You know, we say, oh well, like there's his his change ups like like a lot like his change up or sure and or you know like like I talked about extension. Oh, like his extension on baseball savant is like his extension. Yep. But a lot of times it's not only the analytics, it's what it looks like, how it feels, the the impact it has on hitters. Um, all you have to do is go to the WBC highlights and see some of the impact the Yamamoto had against major league hitters. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know if uh, – if- Let me see if I can pull some of that up quick to see if I have one. So the thing is here, like you could compensate not based on extension and stuff, but I do think it matters – to do based on extension, some other variables. Um, uh, the names that come up that are kind of close based on not crazy big extension is like Taiwan Walker, um, Alex Cobb throws 190 with similar shape and some run. Um, I don't, Marcus Stroman might be a reasonable comp. Marcus Stroman's a low release high, low extension guy with a lot of run on his, on his split, but he throws a little slower. Um, yeah, the velo is the big thing here. Um, yeah, I, I'll go Tywin Walker, Alex Cobb. If you All want right. maybe stretch it and see Stroman, all those are really good changeups. You know what I mean? Or excuse me, splitters. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, I mean, listen, so I go back to the, it's a results business and the results, uh, that against in the major league realm was the WBC short sample size. Yeah. Hitters are, are in March. We have to factor all that in. But from what you saw of his approach and the hitters' reactions, and and whatever, or maybe it's other international competition too. Is there anything that jumps out about? Okay, you know, this is going to be it's going to be okay for Yamamoto. You know? Yeah, it's the pitchability. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Whenever I watch any of his starts or sequencing or anything he does well, it's like, oh yeah, like he knows how to spot the ball. Like there's an innate level of command there. And you know, you talk to people in major league organizations about how you develop command, how you train it. I generally don't get good answers, so I always find that fascinating. And I, I mean, I've gotten some answers that are just like, oh, it's just an innate characteristic, really. Like, I, I, we don't really think there's any way to control it and make it better. And what you run into with older guys is just some survivorship bias of, like, those are the guys that just happen to hang around for a really long time are those that, when they lose velocity, have command. And you could think of a Scherzer, you could think of a Verlander in that sense, um, I think, for the most part, even though those guys throw biasly a bit hard. But... Anyways, yeah, it's the pitchability. I mean, it, that's one of those things I think that any baseball fan would be able to kind of pick out watching a guy is the ability to command the ball. You know, you look at 80 to 100 pitches in a given start, and he's, if he's only missing by more than, say, 12 inches on a small percent of them, you go, wow, this guy has the ability to have good command. I think even average baseball fans could probably pick out good command for the most part. You could also tell when a guy's being wild, you know? Like, it's the same on that spectrum of, like, this guy has no feel for the zone. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think even – an average baseball fan can pick it out. So that's the key thing is like his ability to spot the ball. And, you know, this stuff is good too. That's the combination. Like the stuff grades out pretty well. It's just that some of the results are kind of m- maybe more iffy, especially on the fastball, I thought generally. So, I mean, you watch WBC stuff, he spots the ball. And uh, that gives me some encouragement that he'll be able to adjust to the major league ball, which is slightly different than the MPB ball, maybe better than some people others have or others expect. You know, he's a pitcher at the end of the day. I- I'm talking to, you know, uh, an individual trained actually Kodai Sanger actually had some communication with Kodai Sanger, like they just had him like he, he adjusted pretty quickly to the ball. So I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, 
it's something to be worried about. I just, again, I think it's another variable that could impact how successful right. is that. I, it's funny you said that. That was the what was on the top of my mind uh, as you were talking, which which was I've seen different Japanese. I, I remember calling uh, Sawamura's first spring training game. It mm. was so unbelievably uncomfortable, Lance. It was um, it was. <laughs> I mean, he was throwing it, you know, halfway to the plate. He couldn't find the strike zone. The mound, like and after that, like the mound was the mound's different. The balls are different, and you just don't know. You, you just don't know. And good for Senga for adjusting. And I would imagine, you know, this entire offseason, you have this entire offseason. Here's the ball, major league ball. Here's the major league mound. But you just don't know. And I guess that's what spring training is for too. So absolutely, yep. Yeah. Uh, all right, um, another guy, Imanaga. Feel like I, I, I'm getting good at that. I better be yeah, getting good at it. Bad. I, I'm not entirely sure how to say it in the first place. Uh he's a lefty. Also performed pretty well at WBC. Not getting the hype that Yabamoto is certainly, um, but still a major league pitcher who is going to pitch in the major leagues. Yep. What is what is your take on him? Yeah, yeah. So with him, the thing that jumps out is that. He had some weird home run issues in MPB that also manifested in a really small sample in the World Baseball Classic. The underlying stuff looks really good. Like I, all the shapes, I think look pretty solid. He's a lefty. The hangup here is that he's thirty, so he's in a similar situation to a guy like Kodai Senga, I think, for the most part. And this gets back to the point of like, do you want to look at something that's more underlying based? You know, like a stuff plus. You run that all through stuff plus, and it looks great. There's a ton of carry on the fastball from the lefty. You don't really see that a ton. You know, the velocity's fine. Um, he throws slider, like a more of a sweeper, more than a guy like Yamamoto does. That's actually his primary off speed. And then he also has a splitter, which is a pretty good pitch as well. Um, that is not as, doesn't have as much of that arm side run as, uh, Yamamoto's does. Um, not a lot of lefties throwing splitters as well. You know, like Chapman is one that jumps off the top of my head. I'm not even sure. I'm like McClanahan, I mentioned, although it's target as a changeup. There's another guy who throws a splitter, but Again, like I, I brought, I have to be fair, right? In Yamamoto's video, I brought up the fact that I didn't think the fastball generated a ton of swing and miss. And that was one of my hangups with him. With, and that was a results based hangup, right? It's like, okay, this pitch isn't generating swing and miss in MPB. When you come to the States, I, I don't, I'd be shocked if it generates better swing and miss in the States than it did in MPB. And a similar situation comes up with Yamamoto. It's like he gave up a lot of home runs. He had like a homer per nine in, uh, in MPB and he gave up two in the w World Baseball Classic, if I'm remembering correctly. And regardless of how good the shapes are, that is a little concerning to me. I'm not entirely sure if there's something going on there just from a visual standpoint. Oftentimes, it's very hard to capture that stuff. You know, if you think about like, okay, why is this guy underperform or overperform stuff? Plus, you have to consider other variables, right? Stuff plus is an end-all, be-all. I think it's a really powerful tool. But at the same time, there's always ways to kind of circumvent it and understand why a guy might be underperforming or overperforming. And with Monica, that's the thing that jumps out, right? He gave up a lot of home runs. Like an MVP too. And he gave up home runs in the States when he came over here. So that's the hang up there. It's just like, I don't, I probably have to dig a little more and maybe understand why. Is it just, there's not the same level of innate command. Is it just that the movement from how he throws is relatively predictable? That's another thing you could think about is like, if a guy's super heavy over the top, he's a little over the top in terms of how he gets behind the ball, creates that backspinning carry. He's got a lot of carry on his forcing fastball. You know, one of the things you'll think about, in the front office, as you look at movement, it's like not all movement is created equal, right? Like break off arm angle is something to think about. Like a Justin Steele with the Cubs is a great example. Like he gets a lot of cut on his forcing fastball stuff that you don't expect it. Stuff plus says it's just an average pitch, but it's so odd from the slot he's throwing that everyone stays off barrel on it. 
The inverse of that is like if you're so over the top that everyone expects you to have a lot of carry on your fastball, then like the second you watch him one time, you're like, yeah, okay, it's a carry fastball. Like there's no other pitch for him to throw from that over top of a slot. His hand gets behind the ball so well that the pitch is just going to have carry. So from the jump, you're able to understand that I have to swing above this ball, right? Like major league hitters have gotten a little better at swinging at high carry fastballs and doing damage against them. That's my theory right now as to why he's giving up as many home runs as he's giving up. I don't know if a major league org has a different theory or if they think they could adjust something with him. I'd be curious to see where the splitter usage goes. And at the same time, like, I like him. I think he's a reasonable pitcher. Like, I don't think this is a guy that you slot in as a three or a two that you're hoping Yamamoto is. I think this is more of like a back-end guy that you want to get 120 to 140 innings out of, you know, and maybe by the time it hits the postseason, he turns into more of a long reliever and you match him up. And, you know, splitter, again, is like a huge game-changer for any pitcher, I think. And the fact that he has one and that it's good – and that, you know, it's going to be out of zone a lot, but a lot of splitters are out of zone. But the fact that he can just use it generally, I think, is important. So I, I like him. I think he's a good pitcher. I, I am surprised, again, looking back, that he's going to get probably more AAV than Sengen did. Like, of course, everyone would take Sengo over Monica right now, yeah. um, even though they're similar age. But I think, he, I think he'll have an impact on a major league team. I, I, you know, maybe it flies a little under the radar. Um, from the rumors I've heard, I think the Cubs are in him. I think some other teams are as well. Um, it's rare to get a lefty with some carry and a splitter. So I think that's unique. It's just a matter of figuring out the home run problem and, and understanding why it's happening and maybe flipping up the mix to figure out what's more optimal for him. Maybe it's more slider and splitter. I think out of the pen, he'd be really interesting as like a sweeper to lefties guy and then a splitter to righties, you know, throw those pitches more than he was throwing his fastball over an MPB, which I think it was around 45 plus or so. So he's throwing it a bit, you know, bring down the fastball usage like 38% and see what happens. But I could totally see him being like a funky impact reliever and a guy that just can throw either hand in this off because he's throwing a nasty sweeper and he also has the split. Well, I mean, people who, you know, it, it's, it's a tough one for these guys coming over. I mean, listen, it's not a tough one. They're making a lot of money and it, it's, you know, they're getting sure. a great opportunity, but th- because of, and this is why I think that Lance, like, well, what you're doing is so important. Like let's, let's take a step back and understand exactly what's going on here. Because anybody who signed, I go back to like Kikuchi, like, oh my goodness, sure, like sure. this guy is going to be, look at, they got this guy and he's going to be an ace and good for him. And even though like, a lot of teams didn't even like him. So, but still the per- public perception is they love the unknown, especially when you yeah, can yeah. have videos of, of these guys striking out guys in the WBC, <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. So, um, but, so the last thing is, I want you to put on, I believe, after talking to you, that you will be in a front office somewhere, <laughs> if, if that's what you want to do. Um, but I am, and so we're sitting around the table, the president of baseball operations and soliciting all the opinions from everybody. Said, okay, we need a pitcher. We're going to, I want you to power rank the pitchers. I want you to give me your top three guys. Oh, man. There's, there's no, this, this, this free agent class is very unique. You have. Blake Snell, you have Jordan Montgomery, you have Aaron Nola, you have Yamamoto, um, and you have these guys and maybe some other guys that I missed. So, um, but I want you to, to say, okay, here's here you go, Pobo, president of baseball operations. Yeah. Here, here's my top three. This is the guys that we should prioritize. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a great question. I think you can have almost two sets of answers to this. Money, one that has to do with money, and one that doesn't. No, I can't no, say, look, money's, money's, this isn't, we need pitchers. We need to win. You That's need to win. I'm so then you're money agnostic. Like just throw any money you want. Exactly. At sure. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Snell and Nola are really interesting cases where 
I think if I was a front office, I would prefer to dive into the more mid-tier of pitching here and maybe stay away from them. I think I would try to get Yamamoto on less money than everyone else is giving him and see if I could just pitch my market on him. Maybe go more like a 7 for 150 to 170 and see if he'd take it. Whereas, like, I know that I'm probably competing against Cone who's just going to give him 7 for 200. But, like, see if he'd be willing to take a little bit less to come to my organization for the most part. So I'd... I, I don't, that's essentially me saying I'd lowball Yamamoto, right? And it will also depend on who my pitching department is. Like if I, I would lean heavily on my pitching department to see if they think they could adjust him into being, you know, a 27 year old who's as good as saying is right now, you know, which would then really open up your, you know, the willingness for you to pay him like $24 million AAV, you know? Like I would try to get him for 22 to 23 and try to lowball slightly. Maybe, maybe you do the thing where you give him 10 years, you know? Like, I'll have you to your 35, but will you take 200, you know, yeah. 10 for 200 or 9 yeah. for 200 to try to get the AV down and spread it out a little more? Um, maybe this is getting into a little bit too much of the front office answer. Yeah. But I, I don't – like, the thing is, like, at the end of the day, like, I know I'm presenting the case for anti-Yamamoto, but he's the youngest pitcher on the market, you know? And, like, I, I love splitters. So, like, I, I, I don't mind getting him. I just think it's a little bit tougher if you go, like, 6 for 200, you know, and you get him until he's 31. It's like – I don't know. What if he ages well? You know, what if he's Senga and like, even though we have some injury concerns around him, maybe he's pitching really well until he's 32, 33, and then you deal with the injury stuff. Um, my power rank, I guess, would be, uh, it's tough. Like, Nola is an interesting one. He's innings eater. I'm a slightly concerned with Nola that he's going to have to adjust his timing again. He was one of the oh, longest I saw pitchers. That. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know if teams are considering that, but I, I definitely would think about it from like a workload By standpoint. By the way, I, 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 listen, we're all one big happy podcast family, right? <laughs> so it's, um, but I will say this, is that if you want to go back, Matt Strom, we did a podcast with Matt Strom, um, when was it? It was the middle of the year. It was when he was also ranting about beer sales. Um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, but he was he was one of the first ones that I had heard say what you had surfaced on Twitter X um, about hey pitch clock. I think that foul territory that was a conversation yeah, yeah. Foul territory. And um, but Matt Strom was saying like this is people understand we're going to break down. We're going to break down. We're going to break down. And I would love. I haven't had the time to do it. Um, and I probably wouldn't do a good job of it, but there is absolutely some analysis just to say, Hey, listen, this is what happened this year. Because like I said, go back, Strom, this was, this is probably May and May. And he's, he was saying, we're going to break down. Like go watch June, July, August. You're going to see more pitchers break down because this is going faster. Um, and so I, and then Kenley Jansen said the same thing to me. And almost unsolicited. So you yeah, know as permanent super long to the plate. He was thinking like 24 seconds. Right. Well, yeah, and he adjusted, right? So um he had to adjust. But yeah. it, but I think that this was permeating throughout the pitchers in baseball. I mean, they we we can say it was better for baseball, but the pitchers yeah, sure. this is this was a reason why Lance, the pitch clock wasn't there before. Because pitchers don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Aaron Nola. Uh, so I'll just I'll put it this way. Okay, we're gonna put Yamamoto. I'm bad at power as you can see. You call me off guard here. So I'm trying to run through my. No, head. no, Yamamoto number one. So I have here. Here it is. Basically, I'm gonna give you three guys to two spots, and I know that you said you deal in the mid level guys, but yeah, these yeah. are the guys everyone's talking about. It's the Snell, the Nola, Montgomery. Yeah. How would you rate them? 
I think I take uh, I think I take Snell one, Nola two, Yamamoto three, Montgomery four. Okay. Oh, okay. Yamamoto. And it's I mean, again, like I, I'm not looking at massive differences between these guys, but no, and all by the way, all different, right? Yeah. They're very different pitches. I mean, yeah, I mean Snell's like really good stuff, like ability to mix. I think he ran into like a really high percentile outcome where he didn't have his slider early and was still really good. You know, Sarah did some good work on this on the athletic and then got his slider late. So like he just ran into like the 90th percentile outcome where he's like was good early, although he didn't have his best pitch and then got his best pitch late. And it's like, okay, that's how you win a Cy Young, right? You get a little bit of that, you know, I don't want to say luck, but you get some decent. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Strand rates and like he was walking a ton of guys. But I... I I think he's a really good pitcher. I think he's a lefty. I, I I like lefty. Excuse me. I think he's lefty. He's obviously a lefty, but um, I like lefties. I think that there's often some deception there going on that allows you to play a little above stuff, and his stuff's really good. Um, and he's done this over different time periods as well. So there's something innate to him. I think that's really important. Nola, I'm slightly concerned on this adjustment thing a second time. I the thing is, I'd be more comfortable taking him if my front office had a plan as to how to load him from a workload standpoint in the off season, such that we would make his body more resilient to then cutting another two seconds off his time to play. Because the reality is like, I don't necessarily know if there's anything to pop up in data that would back up like this year being particularly odd for with pitch clock, et cetera. But that's another thing where if you're looking, if you're looking at such a high level of an average and you don't see anything, it doesn't in my mind mean that on an individual level, there isn't, differing responses to having a shorter pitch clock. I think that's a very important distinction to make where it's like, okay, we look at every pitcher in baseball and the pitch clock overall, we don't see a strong signal of it, of it having an effect, but individual instances, if a pitcher's telling you that he's more tired and breaking down throughout the year, like a strong or someone else, like there's probably merit to that, right? Like there's many cases throughout history where in, in baseball specifically, where, you know, we hear players say something on the data side, we don't believe it. And then eventually we have something to prove it out. A great example is seam shifted wake, right? No one ever really thought that late movement was, was a thing on the data side. We heard it so much from players that eventually we then understand that seam shifted wake and seam effects and ball movement isn't all created equal and that some of it happens later in flight. And next thing you know, all the data people are like, yeah, late movement is a thing. And the scouts are like, I've been telling you that for 15 years and no one believed me. You know what I mean? And I think you run a similar situation here, right? The players are telling you that they're more taxed it makes a lot of sense. Like if, if you work out or anyone works out, you know, cut 30 seconds, cut 10%, 15% rest between your sets and see how your body feels. Like it's more, it's more strain on you. 
And especially when you think about accumulating over the course of a season, it's, it's going to have some impact. I think personally and talking to people in baseball, you know, and they're not going to say it publicly, but I know there's teams that are doing things to try to combat this. You get guys going earlier such that you have more ability to rest and shut down later. Like that's the thing is like, I want to know for me to be confident in Aaron Nola is to know what his offseason programming looks like. How similar is it to the prior year? You know, if it's the same thing as he was doing last year, I would be maybe more hesitant. But if there's some active, like, you got to cut another two seconds off on every single one of your pitches, multiply that by every single pitcher throwing with a runner up, not on base. It's like you have that much less time to get into all this work. Like, make me confident that your offseason prepped you to do that as opposed to you just doing the same thing you did in prior years. So that's the main thing I would ask on Aaron Nola if I was like a front office or something along those lines. It's like, how receptive are you to understanding what we think your workload should be in the offseason and how early you should get going versus what you think you should be doing? And are you comfortable with adjusting to what we think based on what our strength set thinks? So that's where I am on Nola. I think there's a lot of variability there. Montgomery is interesting. He's another guy where it's like he went to the Yankees and he wasn't throwing a pitch that he was comfortable with in the, I think it was the sinker, right? Um, then he goes to the Cardinals, then he throws that more. And then it's good, and like everyone thinks it's a mixed thing. That's another thing where it's just a lefty being funky, I think, for the most part. And then he goes to the Rangers, and like they optimize the usage again. Like he's a guy that's just tinkered enough to be good. I think I don't think he's like frontline type, but I think the fact that he pitched so well in the postseason is getting him a contract. Oh, so oh, don't you know, even get me going on the. I think that's fair. <laughs> how much money you can make? It's so weird. It's it's I've screamed this from the mountaintops a million different times. The dynamic of pitching well for three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is, and how much money that can make somebody, it's kind of crazy. It really yeah. is. And, and, and look at Nola. I mean, Nola was making himself a lot of money throughout the postseason. And I don't know if this this is putting a dent in it at all. He had a bad last outing. Like, he had a bad last outing. Sure. And all that does, maybe that doesn't put a dent into his earnings at all, but what it does is it it plants a a seed of doubt that that wasn't there before. And that's just one start, but it was because it was on the biggest stage. I yeah, mean, yeah. we have Avaldi doubling his contract. We have we have our guy, Joe Kelly, doubling his contract. You know, they, it's such a weird dynamic is what I'm saying. It is. So, yeah, you're right. You're true. I mean, it. people, it, it's hard to prove out whether a pitcher is going to pitch well in the postseason. I think when you see it, I think teams get a little, like, attracted to it. And I understand that, I guess, from a team-building standpoint, especially if you're confident you're going to get into the playoffs. It's like, you know, we're going to the playoffs. None of these guys have ever been in the playoffs. What are they going to be in the playoffs? It's nice to have, like, a Jordan Montgomery who's like, oh, he's been there. He knows how to do it. You know, I, I think there's some value in that. So maybe it's not as warranted as it, it is, but I do think it matters to some extent. I'm willing to kind of entertain the idea that, like, if I'm an owner or front office, it's nice to have a guy who's been there before. There's something to that. I imagine most baseball players would say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lance, listen, you're part of the family. Anything you need from us appreciate it. uh, is, is so good. And uh, and thank you for bringing us back down to earth in terms of <laughs> this. Again, this 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 brings me back to the Daisy Matsuzaka. This guy has has eight pitches. And he has this this mystery gyro ball, and no one's going to ever be able to hit him ever, ever, ever. And then the first hitter up against him in spring training is the punter from Boston College who hit, rifles a double down the left field line. So, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if it's going to be Daisuke. I think he's no. going to he's a higher floor than Daisuke. I'll say Yamamoto. Yeah. We'll see. I, I'm fascinated to see how he does. I'm happy to be wrong if I'm wrong, and he dominates from the get. Yeah, he's the best pitcher in baseball for four years, but. We'll see, man. There's always a chance, right? Probabilistic outcomes. You never know. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Lance. 
In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.